Well, good morning again. My uh, old pastor in Michigan, whenever we would sing that song and be sitting, he'd say, well, you, we'll be sitting on the premises while we're standing on the promises. So, If you would, please turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be picking our series in Mark's gospel back up. We have been seeing Mark put Jesus before us uh, as Lord over everything, really. And we'll continue to see that. But at this point, the, the pace of the story is going to slow down. One of Mark's favorite words is immediately. He uses it over 40 times in his gospel. And we're going to see it a few times here. But the story moves along so fast. But again, we're going to slow down a little bit and look at some parables. It's one of two sections in Mark's gospel where he slows down and gives us a good chunk of Jesus' teaching. Some of the other gospels have longer sections. Mark has fewer sections of that. You have here in the Olivet Discourse in Mark 13. We're going to be spending some weeks now going through these parables here. And uh, as springtime is coming up, it's, it's gardening time, and, and I'm following Neil's lead of putting my peas in the ground already. We're going to see how that goes. If it goes well, I guess I'll pat you on the back, and if it goes bad, I'll blame you, Neil. If not, but, don't say anything. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, in years past, I've planted gardens in less than ideal places and gotten less than ideal results. I think as time has gone on, I've grown to appreciate soil quality. And uh, in the text this morning, Jesus is going to use the images of planting and soil condition to instruct us in this first parable that we'll look at. Uh, he's going to teach us about a seed that is so valuable that it is worth the best of all soils. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and read that. I'm going to read Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, 
but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your very precious word that you have given us. Thank you that you have spoken. There's so many things that we figure out in this world by our intuition and by our cleverness but we would have never figured out your word. We, we could have never made it, Lord, to that. We could have never made it to you, but you have spoken. You have revealed yourself to us through your word and ultimately through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would help us this morning, that we would receive your word, hold it in our hearts, and that you would make us fruitful by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to focus this morning on this parable. We'll seek to cover the whole thing and I think the overall point of this becomes pretty clear as we work through the parable. I think the call for us is to listen to the word and bear fruit. As we work through this more extended passage, we want to look first at the secret revealed and concealed. And we're going to look at the fruitless soils. And then we want to look at the seed multiplied. So let's look first at the, the secret revealed and concealed as we work through this. Uh, in our passage in the start of chapter 4, uh, Jesus is teaching alongside the sea. Now, where exactly he's at is not specified. Um, somewhere it's along the Sea of Galilee, most likely here. And there's a, a large crowd that's gathered together. They're uh, a huge group of people who've come to hear him. We've, we've grown accustomed to this, right? We've seen multiple large groups come and, and pack around Jesus. And there are so many people in fact, that Jesus has to get into a boat so that he has enough distance to be able to teach. It says here that he sits down on the sea. Well, I think the idea is he's sitting in the boat on the sea. And he begins to teach from there. He's teaching the people. It says, Mark tells us here that he teaches them in parables. Uh, and uh, we've already seen a few parables in Mark's gospel, but here Mark puts many of them before us. And uh, Mark will tell us later in verse 10 through 12 the, the point of Jesus teaching in parables. Jesus will tell us that the point is that for those inside, the parables reveal. And the, uh, those on the outside, they will conceal, as we'll see. So for those on the inside, the parables reveal. And what do they reveal? They reveal here the secret of the kingdom. The word is mystery. They reveal the mystery of the kingdom. It's been revealed to those who have come and listened to Jesus. Um, for those who receive Jesus, the mystery of the kingdom has been given to them. The parables communicate truth to them, and by it, they're built up. And that's what the parables are supposed to do for us. They, they reveal to us about the kingdom of God. They reveal about Christ, and they are meant to build us up. Uh, it communicates truth. But that's not the only way that many people hear the parables. Jesus says here that for the outsiders, the parables conceal. He quotes Isaiah chapter 6 from the call of Isaiah. And uh, it says that they indeed, so that they indeed may indeed see but not perceive. They're seeing it. There's some sense in which they get it, but they don't get it. 
they hear, but they don't understand. Again, they're getting it in some senses, but they're really not getting it. They're really not getting the point. As a result, they're left in their hardened state. Now, that might seem harsh to us. Uh, I, I think we want to trust that Jesus is, knows what he's doing here. But you can think, for example, of those like the Pharisees who are hostile to Jesus. We've seen throughout the previous chapters this growing animosity towards Jesus in the Pharisees. When they heard the parables, it left them where they were at. They were probably further hardened by them. And that's not to say that the, parable, the, the Pharisees didn't understand anything from the parables. In matter, a matter of fact, in Matthew 21, Jesus tells the parable of the stewards who are keeping the, the vineyard for the owner, and they are such rascals that they go so far as to kill the owner's son. And Jesus says, well, what's going to happen to those tenants? Uh, and the, par- the Pharisees, when they hear that, they are irate because they perceive that Jesus is talking about them. They, they get the parable enough to know that Jesus is talking about them. They are the wicked stewards. But you know, they didn't get it. Sure, they got it. They understood it. They got some of the punchline to it. They got that, but they didn't get it. Because if they really got it, they would have repented. They would have realized the kinds of scoundrels that they were, and they would have turned. They would have been broken. They would have found healing. They would have found forgiveness, but they didn't. They heard it. They kind of understood it, but it, it didn't do them any good. They were, in fact, further hardened. It drove them further in their attempts to crucify the Lord. The call for us here is that we want to listen to the words of Jesus. We want to take up God's word and pay attention to it. If we reject Jesus in his word, then we've got nobody else to blame but ourselves for our eventual downfall. We must heed Jesus when he teaches. We want to listen to him when he calls. And he says, he who has ears, let him hear. He repeats that saying quite a bit in the Gospels. I want to transition now and look at the parable of the sower itself. Uh, We're going to continue to look at examples of ways that people interact with the word. I want to look first at the the first three soils. We could call them the fruitless soils. Uh, Jesus starts this parable uh, with a description of the sower, mention of the sower at least, but he doesn't specify who the sower is. As he describes it and as he interprets this parable, he never really gives the identity of the sower. But he does tell us what the seed is. The seed is the word. It's the word of God. God gives us his word. Uh, We see that. Um, We also see in scriptures from John 1 that Jesus is the word incarnate. And further, even as we go on and we share with others, we seek to share the word with them. Uh, It's probably legitimate to think about all of those as different aspects here. In different respects here, we see that uh, God is the one who ultimately gives his word. He's given his son and communicates his word through his son. And this word that we have in this gospel message, we share with others. So who's the sower? I think God's the sower. Jesus is the sower. And I think in some contexts, when we get opportunities to share, we get opportunities to sow as well. The seed itself, though, is the focus. The, the focus isn't on the sower. The focus is on the seed. Uh, that's what's most important here. 
And Jesus will tell this parable of the, the four different soils. The same seed is cast into different soils. Uh, and some of this might seem a little strange to us. There's some historical reports that say that in Palestine or in Israel back in the day, they would throw the seed down first, and then they would do the tilling afterwards, and that would turn the, the seed into the soil. So maybe that's what's going on here. But we get the picture of, of the sower who goes out and, and throws the seed onto different soils. The first one is the seed that falls on the pathway. <clears throat> it's the hard-packed soil. And the seed hits it, bounces off, it doesn't penetrate, and there it sits until the birds come and eat it. Jesus explains that in this case, it's those who hear the word, but immediately Satan comes and he gobbles it up. This person that he's describing here never gives serious thought to the word. They never seriously grapple with the word. And Satan comes, and whatever word has been given to them, he snatches it away. In our day, I think that there are many who casually hear the claims of Christ and of Christianity, but they never give much thought to it. They don't really press themselves into it one way or another. That kind of indifference is a dangerous response. You know, people want to hold off on seriously grappling with the word of God. And you know what? That's exactly what Satan loves. Satan loves it when people hear the word and respond indifferently. Uh, Satan is happy to delude people into thinking that they've got more time or that there are more important things to do. There's, there's more pressing matters in their lives than to give serious thought to the word. Satan loves that. It's how he makes his breakfast. The first soil turns out to be a fruitless soil. The seed falls on the hard path, and it's not received whatsoever, and it's gone. The next that we see here that Jesus describes is the rocky soil. Some seed falls on rocky soil, and the seed sprouts roots. It takes off in a hurry. It grows up, grows very quickly, and it looks great. Boy, that's, it's pretty promising for a while. And then the sun comes out and the plant is withered. Jesus explains that uh, this is those who hear the word and immediately they receive it with joy. Now, a joyful reception, again, sounds promising. But when persecution comes, they wilt. They take up the word with enthusiasm, but at the first sign of trouble, they split. Uh, the word here for they fall away is scandalizo. Uh, we get the word scandalized from it. They, these people take up the word, they're excited about it, and then as soon as some sort of trouble comes, maybe it's not popular to follow biblical sexuality, for instance. Uh, the, the first time the hint of persecution comes, they're scandalized. They, they can't believe that following Jesus would involve any sort of pain whatsoever or any kind of challenge and they drop it like it's hot, and they're gone. They don't have any sort of root, it tells us here, Jesus says. I think we've all known people who have given a friendly reception of the word, maybe even liked what they've heard at first, but they never go deep. They've heard good things about Christianity or the good things of our gospel, but they don't connect with it at any depth. And when push comes to shove, they're ready to compromise whatever it takes to avoid feeling the pain of persecution. 
And we've certainly lived through a shift in our society where it's increasingly a social liability to believe in biblical Christianity. I've heard that in years past that politicians would front their religious beliefs as, as kind of a, a way to uh, attract more voters. I don't see quite as many politicians doing that in our day. I, I assume that probably that was the case in the past, but I don't see that as much today. Uh, it's not nearly as, as popular to hold a biblical uh, ethics and beliefs. But as we think about ourselves in light of the soil, we should take care that we don't receive the word superficially. We should deeply grapple with the word. We should allow it to sink in deep. We want the, the Bible, the word of God, to inform our deepest convictions. We want it at the core. Jesus, as well, tells about the story at the end uh, in Matthew 5 through 7 as he's telling the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, excuse me, uh, at the end, he, he ends with a story of the, the guy who builds his house on the sand. And the, the wind and the rain come and destroy the house. They beat on it and it collapses. The other side of it, there are those who build their house on a rock. And anything that's thrown at it doesn't touch it. It stands up under all sorts of trial. I think that's somewhat of a parallel parable here. We've got the idea that those who have built their house on the rock, they've founded their lives on the word of God. There's a stability that's there. I couldn't imagine going through the days that we're living in without the stability of the word of God. I mean, just think about all of the things that are in flux right now. All the things that people are trying to redefine from, from the family to marriage, to sexuality, all sorts of things are now whatever you want them to be. Whatever you feel like you are, that, that's what you are. If you want to be a koala bear, you go ahead and identify as a koala bear. I mean, that, that feels like the kind of day that we're living in. Uh, the, the word of God is our stability. Uh, we, we've got to make sure that we allow what God has spoken to us to, to go down deep and to be our foundation. We want to be rooted in this word. We don't want to be those who simply receive it. We're happy to hear it on the good stuff, but then we don't go any farther than that. The second fruit, that second soil that Jesus talks about here also proves fruitless. Sure, it grew up, but it didn't stay up. Let's look at the, the third soil here. Let's see the thorny soil that Jesus describes. It says that some seed falls uh, into the, verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Uh, in many ways, this third soil is better than the first two. Not only does it not get eaten up, but it doesn't die at the first sign of heat. But in the end, it doesn't turn out to be any better than the others. Although it grows up strong, Jesus tells us that it's overtaken by the thorns. It proves to be just as fruitless as the others. He tells us that these thorns, later on as he's interpreting this parable, says that they represent the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. These things choke out any fruitfulness that this plant might have had. The cares of the world, that Jesus says here, uh, this is down in verse uh, 19, the, that phrase, the cares of this world, could be translated as the anxieties of the age. I, I like that phrase. 
You can think about it. What, what are the anxieties of our age? What are the things that people get worked up about? What kind of fretting is in vogue today? But beyond that, beyond the cares of the age which can distract us, there are the, the deceitfulness of riches, he describes here, and the desires for other things. Uh, if anxiety is not taking our eyes off of God, then our desires and false hopes are coming in from another angle at us. We can be deceived into thinking that the value of our lives can be counted in dollars. Or we can give our hearts over to craving the next material thing. We don't want to do that. We must not allow the things of this world to consume us and make us unfruitful. Yes, the Bible grapples, Jesus teaches about the fact that we need clothes, we need food, we need shelter, we need these things to take care of us. Our Father knows that. Matthew 6, Jesus tells us that. Jesus calls us to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. We can have the confidence that all these things will be added to us. The things that we need, he will provide. We don't have to fret. We don't have to be consumed wondering about whether we'll be provided for or not. We don't want to be choked out by the thorns of this world. Our faith-filled trust will be necessary if we're going to be fruitful in our day. So we've taken a quick look at these fruitless soils. I think the main point of these first three soils is that we don't want to be these first three soils. The main point as we look at it is that's that's the kind of response to avoid. We don't want to be like that. And if you feel this morning like your heart is not taken up the word in the way that it should, uh, if you feel whether maybe this world is feeling too important, uh, Jesus is inviting us and he's calling us to listen, to, to bend our ears to him, to receive his word. He is happy to meet us in that. Uh, you feel like the, the things of this world, the anxieties of this age are pressing heavy on you, go to the one who has invited us to come. All who are weary and heavy laden to come to him and find rest. That invitation is there for us and we should take it up. We want to accept him in the word that he shares and we'll see that then as we turn now to the, the third soil described or the fourth soil described here, our third point. We want to see the, the seed multiplied. Jesus teaches lastly here about a, a seed that falls on good soil. And what happens with that seed? It hits the ground and it's received. It takes root. It holds firm and it's not choked out. This soil is fruitful. Jesus says that the fourth soil bears fruit some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. Now this is certainly what Jesus is commending to us. This is the kind of soil that we want to be. Jesus calls us to listen to his word and then be fruitful. Now, an important question as we think through this, uh, as we think about it for ourselves, is what is fruitfulness? How do you measure if there's 30-fold and 60-fold, 100-fold? How do you measure fruitfulness? I have to say, I don't, there's not a very clear metric to measure fruitfulness in. Um, now, certainly this passage does seem to point to uh, the, this gospel going out and reaching others. But I, I don't think that fruitfulness can be reduced to the mere number of raw converts that we've made in our lives. You know, if somebody's made, uh, prayed with five people to accept Jesus, well, then they're fivefold fruitfulness. I, I don't think we can really measure it that way. Uh, the call of the Christian life is, is a whole uh, totality. Uh, we're 
called to receive the word, to take it in, to let it transform us. And as we do that, it naturally permeates everything in our lives. And that transforms the way that we live as we let it go down deep. It changes the way that we interact with other people. Uh, the right kind of reception of God's word leads to a transformation by the Holy Spirit as he works in us. And we end up interacting with other people differently. We end up praying differently. We end up praying in the first place. Uh, it transforms the, the kind of heart and lives that we have. Uh, and, and if we try to reduce it down to mere converts that, that we might number up, well, how do you really number that? You think about your own life and, and your own story of coming to Christ. How many different people had a hand in that? How, how many people you might not even know prayed for you? Uh, so it, it's, I think it's not the right way to go just to say, well, the 30-fold versus 60-fold is how many people you've led to Christ. Uh, perhaps the person who's the hundredfold here is that quiet person who's devoted their lives to being a prayer warrior. You know, who can really count up uh, what that fruitfulness is? But the Lord knows. And as we give ourselves over to him, and as we allow his word to sink down deep in our hearts, we will be fruitful. We can be confident that God will be bringing fruit out of our lives in a way that's pleasing to him. We don't know how much it is. We don't, we don't need to worry and fret over, well, this person has, seems to be more fruitful than, than that person or myself and, and get into jealousy. That's not a place for us. God is pleased to use his word by his spirit through our lives and through our words, and we can't quantify that. We don't know what that looks like, but we can trust that the one who's given that to us, he is working through it, and he's working through us, and that's our confidence. And so if we want to continue to grow in fruitfulness, Let's continue to grow in this word. Let's let it sink down deep, get into our bloodstream. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once talked about uh, John Bunyan, that if you pricked him, he would bleed uh, bibbling. You know, that the Bible comes out of his blood, that this man just knew the word of God. We want to be the kind of people that we know the word, that, that we intimately know our God through his word. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to. To, to use our ears, not merely to, to hear the word, but to really hear it. To, to understand what God is communicating about himself, about us, about the world we live in. And as we do that, we will be fruitful. We, we can trust that the Lord will bear his fruit through us in that process. Well, if the men would prepare for communion and Erica would come to pray, let's, to play, let's go to prayer together now. Father,